Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, James Collins looks at building a godly marriage. But first, Greg Patton looks at what the Bible says about love and goes from his childhood to the love of his life. Well, it's that very special day. Break out the roses, the candy, and do you do much for um, Valentine's Day, my friend? I was a bit nostalgic thinking about this message. My mind went back to when I was a youngster at Little Roanoke Elementary School. Oh, this was a big time. Mom would go out and get these <laughs> Valentines. Had to have one for every kid in the class, and I wasn't sure what all that meant. All those little red hearts all over stuff and goofy little sayings and so on and so forth. I'm ashamed to admit this, but until I trusted Jesus Christ as Savior at age 27, I've been with this woman since 14 years of age. And then, uh, what, we dated there seven years? We call it dating when you're 14. Well, today, yeah, I guess you would. So I've been together a long time, and, you know, I never told my wife, I love you. Isn't that terrible? I said, hey, I express that in so many ways, I don't have to say the words. Now, I was an unsaved heathen then. I didn't know Jesus, and that was my attitude. And once you've been around somebody for a while, and the honeymoon's over, and you know how that thing works. But then when I trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and found his love for me, everything changed. I went back to the way I should have been doing it all along. Absolutely. I'm grateful for that opportunity. And it not only was expressed to my wife, but to other people as well. I used to do a handshake. I wasn't into that hugging stuff, any of that, until I trusted Christ as Savior. Then everything changed in my life. How about you? I guess 2 Corinthians 5.17 would work here, wouldn't it? If any man be in Christ, any woman, any teenager, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Absolutely. What a great portion of Scripture, and how true. Well, I'm so excited. My wife wanted me to mention our oldest daughter, who really struggled in so many ways, had some alcohol problems, had some drug problems. This is, oh, my sweetheart, Rachel Joy. And she really couldn't get things together. But a few years ago, she decided it was time. From church, devotions, Bible reading, prayer, telling others about Jesus, things just changed in her life. And she talked about this guy that she had met at church. She was going to a much larger church here in Fort Wayne. I said, anything serious? And she was, you know how your kids are, right? And then this one day, this guy got in touch with me. Wanted to know if he could take me out for coffee. Really? I mean, we're talking a couple of 40-year-olds here. I said, well, sure. What do you suppose this is all about? So we met for coffee, and it's really interesting. He uh, he had on a parka with the little strings that come down, and he kept twirling those things, and he was just acting really nervous during our time together. And I said, so uh, what are we doing here? Jared. That's his name. Jared. He said, well, uh, 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 Pastor Patton, I have come to uh, ask you for your daughter's hand in marriage. 
<laughs> I'm so bad at this. I really wanted to say absolutely not, but I couldn't do it. As much as I wanted, I couldn't do it. I was just shocked, I guess. No one has ever asked for my daughter's hand in marriage, any of them. And this guy does it this time, really? Oh, I'll tell you what, what a special time. One of the things that's been really special is these two are inseparable. Married him a couple of years ago on Easter Sunday. COVID was rampant. We went out in the parking lot of the church and had a just a really great time as we united the two in marriage. Yeah, they are just in love with one another. When does the honeymoon end on something like this? He's all for her. She's all for him. And it's just one incredible love story. I'm sure that the roses are out there today and the candy, if that's permissible, and all kinds of gifts. They do that for one another. It is just something to behold. It's been such an encouragement to me as pastor, as dad. So what's the Bible say about this love thing? You know, the Bible has a great deal to say. In fact, the Bible says that love is of God, and God is love. That's 1 John chapter 4, 7 and 8. In other words, love is a fundamental characteristic of who God is. Everything God does is impelled, is influenced, is about His love. The Bible uses several different words for love in the Hebrew and Greek, interchanging them depending on the context. And some of these words mean what? An affectionate love. Others indicate a friendship. Others, exotic sexual love. There's also a distinct word for the type of love that God displays. In the Greek, this word is agape, and it refers to a benevolent and charitable love that seeks the best for the loved one. The Bible gives us many examples of love, the caring provision of Boaz for Ruth. I like that one. The deep friendship of David and Jonathan, the poetic, passionate love of Solomon and the Shunammite. That enduring commitment of Jose to Gomer, that one is just wow. The fatherly love of Paul for Timothy and John for the church, and of course the sacrificial saving love of Jesus Christ for the elect. The Word of God tells us that he was motivated, God was motivated by love to save the world. John 3.16, God's love is best seen in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf, 1 John 4.9. And God's love does not require us to be worthy to receive it. Praise the Lord. His love is truly benevolent. It's truly gracious. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Oh, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. The Bible says that since true love is a part of God's very nature, then God is the source of love. He's the initiator of a loving relationship with us. Any Love that we have for God is simply a response to his sacrificial love for us. This love is not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his only begotten son and a toning sacrifice for our sins. 1 John 4.10 Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, that great substitute. Our human understanding about all of this, about love, is flawed, weak, and incomplete. But the more we look to Jesus Christ, the better we understand what true love is, right? The Bible says that God's love for us in Christ 
has resulted in our being brought into the family of God. See what great love the Father has lavished upon us, patronizing this now, and we should be called children of God. And that's what we are, 1 John 3, 1. Just as the father in this story showed his love for the prodigal son, Luke 15, so our Heavenly Father receives us with joy, Ephesians 1, 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. That's powerful. The Bible says that we are to love others that way, the way that God loved us. We're to love the family of God, 1 Peter 2.17. We are to love our enemies, and that is a very tough one. I mean, that is, we are actively supposed to be seeking what is best for them, Matthew 5.44. Husbands, here we are. This is the day. Husbands are to love their wives as Jesus Christ loved the church, Ephesians 5.25. As we show this benevolent, selfless love, we reflect the love of God to a lost and dying world. Why do we love? We love because he first loved us, the Bible says, 1 John 4:19. The Bible says that our love for God is related to our obedience to him. And I say that all the time. Obedience is the very best way to show that you're really a believer. For this is the love of God, that we do what? Let's keep his commandments. And his commandments are not a burden, are they? 1 John 5, 3. We serve Almighty God today, or we should, out of our love for Him. And God's love for us enables us to obey Him freely without the burden of any guilt or fear of punishment. It's a marvelous message. The Bible says that our love for God is related to our obedience again. 1 John 4.18 tells us that perfect love does what? It drives out fear. I talk about this a great deal in our new book, The Invisible War. It's one of Satan's number one tools, fear. And yet God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, awe, and power, and a sound mind. The dismissal of fear of condemnation is one of the main functions, I believe, of the love of Almighty God today. The person without Jesus Christ is under judgment, according to the Bible, and that person has plenty to fear, John 3.18. And don't miss this one. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. I would encourage you this Valentine's Day to get this taken care of, my friend. But once a person is in Jesus Christ, the fear of judgment must be gone. And part of the understanding of the love of God is knowing that God's judgment fell on Jesus Christ on an old rugged cross so that we are spared today. We don't have to go through it. Jesus describes himself as the Savior. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. John 3.16. And then the very next verse reminds us that the only person who must fear judgment is the one who has rejected Jesus Christ as Savior. Where are you today in all of this? I shared a love message on Sunday about my dad. Boy, he was so upset when I trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. He really was. Getting religion, and he said that I would get over it one day. It probably wouldn't take very long. 
Well, praise the Lord. Here we are several decades later, and I'm still in the same. No, I'm in a much better position today. But but here's the situation. My pastor had such a love for my dad that he would not give up on him, even though my father rejected the love time and time again. I asked pastor one day, how many times do you think you talked to my dad about Jesus? Without hesitation, he blurted out three or four hundred times. I mean, my dad, after a case of beer, threw the pastor out of the house more than once. And then my dad had this terrible stroke, and it was a really rough time. First one in the door as soon as it was permissible, Pastor Bachman, my pastor. He went to my dad and he said, Dallas, do you think that maybe God is speaking to us now through this latest physical problem? And Pastor Bachman said, for the first time, my dad's eyes met his eyes. And he nodded in the affirmative. He said, Dallas, I'm going to tell you what I've told you so many times before. I'm going to share a little bit here from the book of Romans and the book of John and tell you how you can know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Dad listened. Now, my dad was paralyzed on one side of his body. His his speech was really strange. and His whole left side of his body was just fallen. But when Pastor Bachman got all done, he said, Dallas, do you want to accept Jesus Christ as Savior? And Dad, as best he could, said yes. He said, why don't I pray what we call the sinner's prayer, Dallas, and if it's in your heart, you pray with me. Pastor Bachman said that he mumbled along with him, but he said when he was done and said the final amen, that my father looked different. He looked different in his countenance. And that's, I think, Bible, Isaiah 3, 9, the show of their countenance. My dad was so happy. He said, Greg, it was unbelievable. To see your dad's eyes meet my eyes was just quite an experience. A Valentine's Day message, somewhat different, don't you think? You know, it's easy to love someone who loves you, but how do you love someone who wants nothing to do with you? That was my dad. That was my pastor. And one day, they came together. My friend, it's available to you today, this great love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Love, it's the best. And I'll say again, once you know Christ as Savior, and he's truly in your heart, it'll change you. You will become a lover in more ways than one. And in closing today, I go back to where I used to be. Before Jesus, not much happening there. So hard to express that. But with Jesus Christ in me, in my heart, it's all different now. Yeah, I have become a a real lover in so many ways. And I'll tell you what, I've said it so many times, I'll continue to say it. This Christian walk is a great way to live and a great way to die. Happy Valentine's Day, my friend. Thank you, Greg. Staff evangelist James Collins comes now to open God's Word to encourage us to build godly marriages. The Bible says in Genesis 2.24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. 
This is the account of the first marriage. When God created the first man, he sought a suitable counterpart. He chose neither an animal nor an exact duplicate of the man, but instead God created a woman, uniquely formed for intimacy, companionship, co-workmanship, and procreation. God joined together the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, who was taken from man's side in holy marriage. God intended for marriage to be the union of only two people, a male and a female, for the purpose of companionship and the raising up of godly offspring. However, today, marriage is under attack. With me to talk about building a godly marriage is Pastor Billy Crone. He is the senior pastor of Sunrise Bible Church in Las Vegas, Nevada, and he is the founder of Get a Life Ministries. Pastor Billy has written a great book titled, A Marriage Built to Last, 11 Steps to Building a Solid Marriage. And that book, by the way, is available in our online bookstore at swrc.com. Or if you'd like to get a copy, you can call toll-free 1-800-652-1144. Pastor Billy, thanks for being on The Bible Says with me today. Thank you, Pastor James. It's always great to be on. Well, in A Marriage Built to Last, you write that marriage today is under attack. Tell me more about that. Well, basically, again, of course, I think an easy answer would be what we can see has been going on certainly ever since the Supreme Court decision several years ago. But our society, even America, that used to be a Christian nation, hello, is redefining marriage. You know, God defines marriage as one man, one woman, and that's it. But our society is attacking that. Now they're trying to blur the lines between, they say, no, it could be two men or two women, no. Now it's even getting worse. They're saying, well, maybe I'm not a man, I'm really a woman, and vice versa. It's just, it's all messed up. It's under attack. Now, to me, again, that is a spiritual issue because, again, basically that's what the enemy does. You take anything from God and you try to mess with it, twist it, contort it to destroy society. And one way to destroy a society is to start destroying the home. And certainly you've got to start with the marriage and the family unit. But marriage is under attack, not just morally, but think about it, folks. We're getting attacked with consumerism, right? You look at the average family and marriage, you know, it takes time. It takes work. You know, you work at it. You communicate with one another. You work through issues, but we ain't got time. We ain't got time to be families. We ain't got time to be a husband and wife. We're so busy with consumerism. We got to live that American dream. We got to get out there and run the rat race. And, you know, the whole goal of life that society says, God doesn't, but society says, you know, you got to get out there to get a good job. And a good job is one that pays a lot of money. And why do you need that money? Because you need more money and more money to buy things you don't need to impress people you don't know and then don't even seek and care. And then you not only need one income, you need two incomes. And then you got to get that stuff and you better get it now. You got to go into debt, right? Because you got to have instant gratification. You can't save up money and be responsible. No, you got to get it now. And then you become in debt and you become a slave to that. Now you got to work another job. Now you got to spend more money. And guess what? It destroys your marriage because you ain't got time. You ain't got time to work the issues. I, I like what one guy said. One time he said debt. It's an acronym, actually, and it stands for Dumb Excuses for Buying Things, mm. right? And that's what our society does, right? Gets you in debt because you become a slave to the system, and it steals away your time. And again, so consumerism, this constant busyness, we ain't got time to be a family. Feminism has crept in and is messing with it. They're trying to make men more like women. They're trying to make women more like men. They're getting men and women to fight instead of understanding their God-given roles, that there's complete unity in the biblical model. It's just different. I liken it to a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, right? One side's got peanut butter on it, the other side's got jelly, and if you put them both together, you have something even more fantastic, right? Well, society says, no, 
you have to be like me, or I have to be like you, or I'm jelly, but I want to be like peanut butter. No, leave it alone. God made them male and female on purpose different for a good reason. And then, of course, the whole sexual revolution that we're still dealing with, unfortunately, from the 60s and the 70s, and you wonder why you know, infidelity, divorce, all that. Marriage is under attack. And we need to realize, folks, that it doesn't mean you've got to, oh, just give up and roll over and be defeated. No, understand it's not going to be as easy as it used to be, okay? The good news is God says if you'll just devote the time and take the time to do the work, okay, then you can have a marriage built to last. You just got to do it God's way and stop living the way the world or thinking the world says you need to live and act and behave in attitudes towards marriage. You need to get back to God's way. Well, now, you said men and women are different, and to that I say, praise God, viva la difference. But (laughs) other than the obvious physical differences, you write about how men and women are different emotionally. I know, for example, in my own case, my wife, her love language, if you will, she really loves for me to tell her that I love her. I, on the other hand, I'm, you know, it's, it's okay, whatever. But when she tells me, that she's proud of me. I'm telling you, boy, my chest kind of pokes out, and I really thrive on that. And the Bible talks about husbands love your wife, wives respect your husband. So tell us, how are men and women different other than the obvious physical differences? You know, give it a couple things. One, you know, men are more into conquering things. Ladies are more into cuddling things, right? You know, you go to the grocery store, what's the guy want to do? He's going in there, and he wants to conquer. He's going to go in there and get his stuff and get right back out <laughs> and beat his time, right? But for the ladies, you know, we joke and say, no, they take their time. They go up and down every aisle typically and developing a relationship before a commitment to make the purchase can be made, etc. cetera, blah, blah. We laugh at that, but it's a different. Men are visually superior, typically. Ladies are more visually sensitive. That's why when you're driving down the car and all of a sudden your wife might scream, hey, look out, look out. And you're saying, what are you talking about? There's 10 blocks down the road. It's because ladies typically they have a more sensitive peripheral vision, right? doesn't mean she's out to get you or nagging you. It just means that there's a difference there. Or... When we come home, ladies typically, home is a nesting place. Home is a nest. For men, hey, it ain't a nest. It's just a resting place, right? You come home, a hard day's work as a man, you sit in a chair, and she comes over with the honeydew jar because there's a mess in the nest. It needs to be fixed, right? Not trying to start an argument. It's just a difference. And that's just, you know, kind of physical differences. Psychologically, man, huge differences, right? You mentioned, you know, ladies are emotionally sensitive. Guys are typically insensitive. It's not that we don't have emotions. We've got a couple around there somewhere. But that's not a bad thing, right? In a time of crisis, you want somebody who's not as emotional leading to the way out of the mess. But, again, there's pros and cons and everything. For ladies, it's great that God designed you with emotions because that's what's needed for the nurturing care of the family and the kids, etc. Leave it alone. God knows what he does. And then here's a big one. I remember coming across this stat. Ladies tend to communicate more. Men communicate less. In fact, men on average speak 12,000 words a day Ladies speak about 25,000 words a day, right? And that explains a lot, right? When the husband comes home from a hard day's work and the lady says, hey, how was your day? And he doesn't hardly say much. It's not that he doesn't care. He's already used up his 12,000 words for the day, (laughs) basically. But the lady, she's got 13,000 more to go. So be cracking. But I like what one lady had said one time. She said, well, the reason why that ladies speak twice as much as men because we have to repeat everything we say. (laughs) You know, okay, there's some truth to that. Okay, I get that. But here's my point. As you just read that verse, male and female, God made us different on purpose. A man shall leave and cleave to his wife. God made us male and female on purpose. Now listen, our differences are God-given, which means they all serve a great purpose, which means if you're jelly, stop trying to turn the peanut butter 
your husband into jelly. He's never going to be like that. He's peanut butter. And if you're a husband and you're peanut butter, stop trying to turn your wife jelly into peanut butter. You need to acknowledge these God-given differences. Now listen and see how they complement. Our differences from God are not meant to conflict with each other. They're meant to complement each other. You're different. God made you different, male and female, on purpose. Therefore, listen, the other person, they're not your enemy. They're your spouse. And sometimes, as crazy as it is, you know, we look at these differences and we think, well, they're out to get me. They just keep doing the same thing over and over again, and they just try to ruin my day or nag at me or they don't, you know. No! It might just be you're different. And the challenge is every day, prayerfully, God, how do our differences, how are they meant to complement? And I'll give you one quick example. My wife and I learned this. You know, we grew up in two totally different societies. My growing up was in the middle of nowhere in Kansas. And apparently as a coping mechanism, we developed an extremely sarcastic sense of humor. My wife grew up in the Bay Area in the city and a very conservative family. And if they laughed, you know, maybe it was one time in 1942. I don't know, <laughs> but it's just very conservative. And so she marries me, Mr. Laughter, Mr. Sarcasm. And to be honest with you, it came out and eventually I was too much on the sarcasm, right? But frankly, my wife needed to develop a better sense of humor. So you know what God did? I didn't tell my wife, hey, you need to get built since humor. And she didn't tell me, hey, you need to stop being Mr. Funny Guy. Over time, God took two different people with two different backgrounds, with two different families and two different personalities. He put you together on purpose for a reason. And over time, he began to work where I began to tone down my sarcasm because I needed to. But by being married to my wife, it showed me I needed to do that. And then vice versa, my wife realized that, you know what, life is hard enough as it is, there's nothing wrong with a good sense of humor, and she brought it up. So here's my point. My wife and I are different today, not because she pointed a finger and said, you got to be like me, and I pointed a finger at her, you got, no, we allow God to do the work. We begin to pray and say, God, how are our differences not meant to conflict but complement? And listen, we're better people today because we're different people. Stop listening to the lie that you've got to be exactly the same. You'll never find somebody exactly like you. You're different on purpose. The challenge is to see how they work together. Amen. Well, I want to tell you, Pastor Billy, I think this book, A Marriage Built to Last, is one of the best products that you have ever put out. And my wife and I actually read this book together a couple of years ago. Back then, I was serving as a chaplain in the Army, and I was stationed for a year in Iraq. And what we would do is I read a chapter in Iraq, and my wife read a chapter back here in the United States, and then we would talk about the chapter together on Skype when we would communicate in the evening. We were intentional about communication, like your book says. It's a phenomenal resource. I recommend everyone to get a copy of this book. My guest on this edition of The Bible Says has been Pastor Billy Crone, the author of A Marriage Built to Last, 11 Steps to Building a Solid Marriage. Pastor Billy, God bless you and your ministry. God bless you too, Pastor James. Take care. This is James Collins reminding you that the Bible says the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Today in our Resource Center, we have Billy Crone's book, A Marriage Built to Last. Many marriages today are under severe strain, but this is not the kind of relationship that God had in mind when he instituted marriage in the Garden of Eden. In the light of this truth, A Marriage Built to Last is a book that looks at the 11 steps of having a lasting and fulfilling marriage.
Order your copy of Billy Crone's book, A Marriage Built to Last, when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order online, swrc.com. Thank you for your prayers and continued financial support. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.